Boom! There it is, ladies and gents. We're ready to rock and roll. We're back on a Monday. What happens when uh, you want to figure something out? You don't have the tech skills, but you really want to get this thing done? Well, today's guest is all about making those dreams come true in the tech space. So here we go, ladies and gents. Let's do this one. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. Look, a business can give you everything you want in life. Prestige, wealth, freedom. It can also take everything away from you. This show is for those who are willing to take that risk. These are the real life stories of entrepreneurs. But before we start, I have one small favor to ask. Please leave a comment. It can be advice, critiques, tips, feedback, or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency. So thank you, and welcome to another episode of Business Boss! Ooh, fire time, ladies and gents. Here's the intro. Every entrepreneur dreams of building a successful business. When they start, it's like buying a lotto ticket. You imagine all the possibilities that this new life could offer, but then reality sets in. You realize it takes work. You realize there are only so many hours in the day and you feel like there just isn't enough time. Thankfully, there are people out there that can help. Today's guest is helping businesses find their way to scalability through technology, systems, and data. Web 3.0 is right around the corner and setting up your business to succeed in this next era of the internet will be crucial to your success. Let's welcome to the show from Tech Meets Trader, Mark Crawford. There we go, Mark. Welcome to the program, man. That is great. Well, thanks for having me. That is definitely, that'll fire you up, these little audio <laughs> video clips. I'm like, I'm pumped. I'm ready to go. That's what it's all about, man. Let's talk about your business in the best light possible. That's what I promised you at the beginning. That's what we're going to do. So let's jump into this thing, man. I always love to start with the question of why. So many different fields you could have gone into. At the end of the day, why are you doing this? Because I want to know. As it's a fair question. And it really it was such a natural progression, right? Like I started my whole career in like data consulting at the Interpublic Group. So we would help companies who were trying to basically monetize their data and build their digital media strategies, find ways to do that at lower costs and in the most efficient way possible. So we worked with like J&J &J and uh, Fiat Chrysler and Schwab and all these guys, helped them do that. And then really through the years, it, it just became, well, all of these data strategies are so relevant and so applicable. How do we bring these to startups now? Because, you know, so many founders, they come up with these great ideas. If you don't have the go-to-market principles really ingrained in your sort of upbringing in your entrepreneurial life, it's hard to backtrack and implement that into your company, into, implement that into your app that you've developed, your site, you know, whatever it is. And so we started off just with consulting where we would go in, we'd help companies primarily in Web 3.0 because that was just, you know, what our interest was. Um, and so we would help companies build out data solutions, build out their go to market strategies, do all this stuff that then rolled into equity based consulting, which rolled into a venture fund, which then rolled into a market neutral hedge fund and has all sort of right. So it just it just snowballed. But it all really started out with just this concept of, you know, backing entrepreneurs who had really good ideas, but then helping them figure out how to bring those ideas to market in the most cost effective way that was possible and in the way that would actually convert their audiences. 
I mean, that's a lot. And I think that's the yeah. evolution of pretty much every business though, right? We start off with one thing in mind and then that becomes like, okay, well that now that I'm doing that, there are all these other problems I need to solve. So let's move on to the next and move on to the next and move on to the next. Right. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there's something that you get paid for directly to do. So what is it that people pay you for? If you're good at something, never do it for free. Yeah. So primarily when on the consulting side, what clients bring us in to do is, is some type of business development and some type of go-to-market strategy. What we focus on is this sort of, we call it the researchability quotient, right? So it's this concept of if somebody were to go out and try to convert and try to start using your product, how challenging is it for them to do the full sales cycle without ever touching one of your owned and operated channels? So never touching your own Twitter, never touching your own blog, your own website, none of that, just touching third-party validated pieces of content, whether it's reviews, influencer pieces, podcasts, you know, PR articles, what have you, just getting the crowdsourced research, can they do it, right? Like, can somebody even come in and learn about you just from all of that? So we essentially create this, it's sort of a press plan in a way, because it does a lot of it come back into press and, and being in the sort of public eye and generating this content. But it's all rooted in consumer data. So we're using the consumer data and analytics to find where your eyeballs, where your target eyeballs are going to be, and then putting you and content about your product in those places. So that as a consumer does try to self-educate and self-convert, they have this information about you at all of the right places. So it's, it's, it's interesting because then ultimately you get the halo effect of unpaid conversions that are just coming in organically from this concept of consumer self-conversion rather than constantly having to chase everyone with a Facebook ad. You're you know chasing them with a listicle, which makes consumers feel like they've solved the problem themselves rather than being forced into it from an ad. Mm, yeah, because everybody wants to buy. Nobody wants to be sold, essentially. Right. So... That that to me sounds like an omnipresent uh, strategy here. You're trying to be in all places for a particular client. One mistake that I think a lot of businesses make, I've made this mistake for sure, is I start with this great idea without doing any market research to see if there's anybody yeah. who actually wants that product or service or that great idea I supposedly had. When you're talking to the companies that work with you, are they at that beginning stage where you're doing some of this market research and then placing their content in that area? Or do they already have a market presence that you work with and build upon? So we primarily work with companies who are post-product pre-launch. So we'll come into people who have already built out a product, but we won't take somebody on if we don't feel that they have the, an accurate concept of a product market fit, right? So if we come in and you have to, we have the venture side as well, right? So we're also coming in and thinking, angling, okay, maybe we want some equity. Maybe we want to do this just for cash, you know, what, what all of that package will look like. But it's it's critical that if if we think there may not be enough market research behind the product, the entrepreneur themselves has to be dynamic enough and flexible enough that if presented with data, they would shift the plan, right? Because mm -hmm. they're going to be responsive to data and go with it. They can't be so, you know, I, this is sort of what you're saying earlier, you can't be so committed to this idea that if you find out nobody wants it, you still go down that rabbit hole. You have to be willing to like, you know, shift and pivot. But 
you know, that's the gist. Those companies that are in post-product launch, let's talk about like who's that ideal person because it could be a number of different products or services. So who is your ideal client? I am looking for qualities beyond the physical. So we work and it's primarily in tech, right? Because we, you know, we're tech, tech based, tech meets trader, right? Um, and so it's primarily in tech, but it's really companies who are looking to solve some type of problem in web in web three. So we're working with DAOs, we're working with, you know, people who are looking to integrate blockchain into an existing company, right? So if you have some type of existing app, but you want to add a crypto rewards element, if you have, you know, you're in the financial services space, you want to figure out how to add in a yield product or some kind of lending product that's, you know, maybe counterparty agnostic or, or what have you. Um, you know, all of those components, I would say we we shift more on the direct-to-consumer financial services, crypto blockchain app side of things. But then we have portfolio companies that are, you know, in the PR space because that's so much of what we end up doing for them. So we we build out the uh, the halo. Let's talk about Web 3.0 and that whole idea. Look, blockchain technology, we're talking different types of coins. We're talking metaverse. Like there's so much that sounds so science fiction and yet it's science reality, right? Like, like these are the things that are happening and they sound so far-fetched. And yet if you blink, it's already going to be yesterday's issue, right? So what is in, in, in like, in as layman's terms as you possibly can, what is changing between our traditional financial structure and moving into this blockchain web 3.0 structure? You know, I, I think it's interesting because like blockchain is, is evolved so much of what we're doing. And I think it's so funny because a, I do it every day, but B, I also sort of like, we make fun of it too, because it's like, Oh, everyone's having their meetings in the metaverse. But then you realize that like this morning you had a meeting in a client's metaverse. So it's like, weird to it's weird to disengage but also like be you're sitting at a dinner party and everyone's like this will never happen and you're like ha ha but then you're like oh crap i just did that yeah um, <laughs> but but i think you know in terms of the financial services space it's it's really interesting because i i think that it started out as something that was all about bringing the power to the people right bringing the power of you know that just financial access and you know all of these lending capabilities and yield products and all of that stuff that sort of spurred out especially in a lot of the stablecoin lending which we've seen recently if you follow it has been a little turbulent but it's i think it's shifted more towards like just such mass adoption that you have all of these centralized banks getting so involved that it's it's just becoming like the new way of operating currencies, right? And and you do have all of these different optionality to it. What I like about where it's pivoting back to is if you if you are at all familiar with this DAO structure, which is a decentralized autonomous organization, it's basically a company that has no centralized governance or power, right? So there's no board, right? There's not, it's just governed by people who hold the token. It's interesting to me see a lot of founders now and a lot of these big capital VC backed companies that are starting with this idea of building a centralized product, but then tokenizing it and decentralizing the organization. So you hmm. basically build the company and then you set the ship out to sea and you decentralize that, let it run itself. It gets run by the community. It gets run by the token holders and it gets run by that. That I think has a lot of legs on uh, industry agnostic 
finance, you know, metaverse, production studios, you know, whatever you want to talk about, you can operate a business model like that. Margins are much fatter because operating costs are much lower. And I am interested to see where legacy corporations, what they do with that, because it's not like they're going to decentralize themselves. So it's a good differentiator. <laughs> that that whole concept of decentralization sounds awesome and, and amazing, except right now we're going through major currency inflation, right? And these are <laughs> definitely centralized currencies. Uh, I even heard this morning, and it was a TikTok, so I don't know how true it actually is. Uh, China yeah, right. and Russia are going back to their own reserve currency backed by minerals like, like gold again, right? They're moving to a, another centralized currency. And yet we have a lot of these decentralized coins and societies that want to move to a cashless version of, of, of exchange. Like, I feel like there's there's two things always going on and the financial sector always likes that sense of security having that that backing of something tangible how do you think that will affect our currency market going forward i mean it's kind of, obviously we there's no crystal ball we don't know right right yeah but in, in in what you're seeing in your field how is that being affected the idea of decentralized versus backed uh, currency backed by something I mean, I, I think it's really interesting to watch. I, a lot of people sort of anticipated that in this next inflationary trouble with centralized currencies, you'd see such a huge shift to DeFi and to decentralized finance and to all of these different principles. The timing of it, though, with the stablecoin market issue in the crypto markets, I think spooked people a lot. So now these governments that even have historically backed a lot of these crypto assets are saying like, oh, well, is this even really what we want to do? But at its core, if you can, if there's not a finite supply of something, you're going to be subject to a lot more issues around inflation than you are going to be if you are backed by a finite supply of gold or a finite supply of a token, right? So it's, it is that same principle of, okay, well, we need to go back to something that's a little bit more real. The concept of Bitcoin being a finite supply, same, you know, with all of these tokens where you have a finite supply and, it, you know, it just moves on over time. You can't mint more, you can't, you know, produce more Bitcoin. There's just a certain amount. And the concept of having a gold backed dollar or having a gold back, you know, ruble or whatever it is, is actually coming from the same concept. It's just like a very historic way of dealing with it and a very, you know, sort of more future facing way to deal with it. I just don't think the timing was right to make that leap yet, but I, it's only in my mind, a matter of time before people say, Hey, like this is the obvious solution. You know, you do have people who are trying to build out tokens backed by gold and gold coin, you know, all of this different stuff. Right. But it's, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, markets will determine what will happen at the end of the day. <clears throat> you mentioned how you you work with companies and you set up essentially their PR to kind of place them in places where their customers are going to be. How are you doing your customer acquisition right now? It's a good it's a good question. So we do the majority of our customer acquisition through people who apply to be a part of our venture studio. So uh, entrepreneurs who either have an idea that's pre-product or they have an idea that's post-product pre-launch in that sweet spot will apply to come into our venture studio and just, you know, either they're raising an equity round or they're trying to fundraise capital or they just want, you know, consulting advice and they want to do it for equity. So we have huge lead gen through that funnel. 
Um, and then really the only outbound lead work that we do on our side is we will reach out to uh, like organizations that are in demo for business development stuff with our portfolio companies. So if we have, you know, a portfolio company that's in the lending space and, you know, we want to make, you know, 12 or 15 different connections, we'll run just, you know, a BD process where we'll, you know, figure out who we know and talk on LinkedIn and, you know, talk on telegram or what you know whatever it is and get get people connected and get it together fax machine way. man telegram's too old fax that's machine. right get out the <laughs> fax machine i had to set up a fax machine the other week there's no no word of a lie i had to like have a landline run into my home and install a fax machine because i had to receive a fax and i had to do it on a personal fax line this is like a Who the heck yeah. I, you know that is that old saying right like if you're the first person with the fax machine then that's too bad because you actually need that second person to send and receive a right. fax who the heck still has one i it was unbelievable to me i was like i just need you to send this to me in an email and they were like it unfortunately it has to be a fax machine and we went back and forth for a week and finally i, I mean i needed the doc i was like okay I'll, I'll, let me get a fax machine <laughs> <laughs> give me a minute <laughs> i mean uh, we're talking Web 3.0 here, and you're going way right. back to fax machines and landlines, two things that are not on, existing in most places. I'm working both angles here. We've got, you know, <laughs> one of them's going to win out. So we've got the fax machine in the corner. We've got Bitcoin in the safe. We're ready to go. We're ready, we're ready to go. To... We're ready to go. All right. So people that want to work with you, they they have this, uh, I mean, you're, you're generating leads from this uh, investment pool. What's that process like? Let's say somebody is involved, they're through your pool and they're like, yes, this is something that I want to move forward on. You guys vet them. They're like, yes, this is something we want to help uh, build. What's the sales process like for that? Is that from that accepted movie? What is yeah. that from? It <laughs> is, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that in ages. Um, all right. So I, I wish that we had that many people coming through the door. We will. Um, so essentially, it's, it's two sides of the business, really. If people are just coming in for the researchability quotient thing, that's a very packageable product, right? We, we have people who come in and they say, listen, we need help. We're launching a product. We need help with our PR. We need help with our marketing. We need help with endemic placements. And we need this all to look very organic, right? It'd be very grassroots. That we do all the time. It's very, it's very simple. We build out a plan. They come in. We do like a handful of due diligence related things just to make sure that, you know, we're working with reputable organizations and reputable people. Um, and then essentially we meet with the founders, we meet with executive management, we come through with, uh, we build everything into these, this pod process. Um, we come out with a series of pods um, that involve several things. It's owned and operated content, it's third-party validated content, it's videos, it's podcasts, it's everything in between. Um, obviously ebbs and flows depending on your propensity to fund it, but you know, you have that then it really rolls into production so we've got copywriters we have journalists we have editors we have you know podcast booking agents who will help you get on shows we have all of that stuff in between um all who work right under the tech Meets trader umbrella and become resources of you we also have you know we get all of our data analytics and tracking in place on your in your app on your website on all of your stuff so that we can get the feedback loops and the reporting that's easy peasy set up in a couple of weeks and we're, we're grooving like it really is a machine. The venture equity side 
much more uh, due diligence involved, obviously, because we're either providing a cash investment or we're doing all of this consulting just for equity. So the due diligence process is more extensive. We'll evaluate the financial model. We'll evaluate the market that you're trying to launch the business in to determine whether or not there's room for your company and the market overall. Um, and we'll, and then essentially what will happen is either it's a cash investment with advisory where we'll just meet every couple of weeks and check in and provide you with some resources from our company to help grow yours, or it's full on uh, like sweat equity. You're getting the full-blown consulting package of us helping bring your product into market and then promote it within the marketplace and acquire consumers, um, all essentially just for equity in the business. And that scales dramatically depending on the uh, company and the offering and what have you. So I teach a class called Financial Algebra and I have a 17-year-old seniors in, in high school that I coach them into creating new revenue streams. It's their first dip into like that entrepreneurial space, right? Love it. Uh, and there's a lot of people that listen to the show that are at that beginning phase of a business. Yours, yours is already at that point where we're looking for venture capital. We're ready to scale, right? When you talk to companies uh, on a regular basis, what are some of the things that they should get in place ahead of time so that when they meet with companies like you, they're much better prepared for venture capitalists uh, like pitch decks and presentations and PLs. They have all that squared away. What are the things that a new company should focus on? Well, it's like one thing. It just don't lose your data. I mean, it is so heartbreaking to me to meet with companies who are, you know, they, they've been working on this for, for years in some cases, right? And, and there's limitations to how long you can store data and there's all of those concerns to worry about. But at the end of the day, you if you launch a beta and you do not have in-app analytics, if you launch a website and you don't have just Google analytics on this, on the site, you are leaving so much money on the table and you are leaving all of your insights, right? You don't know who your customer is. You don't know where they are. You don't know what's resonating with people. You don't understand how people are behaving on your site. And it becomes so difficult to remain objective in your business if you're not taking in whatever amount of data you have, even if it's small, right? Even if it's, you know, just a, a couple of people who are willing to talk to you in a beta or what, what have you. You've got to listen and you got to take it because you don't necessarily know everything that you think you know, right? Like, you, you could easily find something out and be like, oh my gosh, wow, this is what the market actually needs. And follow that, you know, follow that honey hole until, you know, you get to a really good organization. But oftentimes you end up way too late. They're like, okay, well, I'm fully launching this product now. And it's like, you, to whom? Nobody's no, no nobody's here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's nobody's there. Well, I mean, but there's there's a couple things there, right? So one is uh, you know don't lose the data, but the other part of that is collect the data, right? right. I mean, well, that's how you don't lose it. That's how you don't lose it is you gotta collect it. You gotta get your tracking setups. Get an email list. Send emails to your people who get on the list. You know, do your drip campaigns. It doesn't take that much time. And if it's taking you too much time, then you can then you can find someone to do it, and it's a worth while cost because it really does make a huge difference 
Well, the data tells you everything you need to know. It, it, it's, it's what's the predictor of what's going to happen in the future. How can you tell the lifetime value of a client if you don't have any of the data to back it up? And this comes down to, and it's not just the bookkeeping, right? I mean, all that is important as well. But you're talking at least name, email, phone number. How often are they communicating? How are they yeah. clicking on links? Are they, re are they replying to, to text messages? Which text messages are they replying to? All that data can help you later down the road because, you know, one of the things I love is, is, is reading, right? I love learning from other people who have already successfully done it. Um, and Russell Brunson is one of the, is the ClickFunnels guy. And I yeah. love how he talks about the difference between paid traffic and traffic that you own. And this is what you're talking about. You've already put that effort in, in getting that information. Now that you own it, how can you best utilize that data moving forward? That's really what you guys uh, are, are specializing in. A hundred percent is like, don't lose what you've got. You got to get it and then you got to keep it. Right. So it's, it's just like, I just think it's an easy mistake to make very early on. And then you expect to not have to do any of that stuff until you launch. And you really have to do that from day one. You have to have everything set up. You have to have everything implemented, no matter really how big or small you are, it will become much more relevant later on. But if you wait too long to do it, you've, you can't get it back. You know, you it you only can collect it in the moment that it's happening. You cannot just like turn back the clock and redo everything and say, "Oh, let me just find all this data." It's gone. You didn't you didn't collect it. You didn't set it up. All right, you one more thing for my seniors because I always ask uh, the entrepreneurs here, "What were you like in high school?" Um, as far as grades are concerned, uh, and what was your educational path, or did you take a, an alternative path? So it's a good question. So I, I did high school. I actually went to boarding school. I went to boarding school in Connecticut. That's where I ended up meeting my business partner. And it was grueling. Like I was, I was a good student, but I struggled. I think like I learned later on that that because I had a lot of ADD growing up and it was really hard. And I didn't, I didn't really ever do much about it except just try to get really bird. good at taking notes. <laughs> I know. Right. It's like, <laughs> so my, my thing was if I, if I could just if I could create a, a routine, right. And I was doing the exact same thing every morning and I took notes in the same way. And I did all of these things. It minimized the amount of distraction because I always knew the next step. So for me, that became very helpful and it, and it built into my career very nicely because I am very process driven now. Right. And I'm, I'm e it's easier for me to stick in that, but I did, well, I got a three, I mean, a 3.8, you know, something like that. And then went to college, started going to college for finance did because I thought it would be really cool. My dad was in finance and, you know, it's, it's obviously helped me. Um, but I did managerial accounting and finance. And then I transferred after two years and went into marketing communication. So it, it ended up, it blends really nicely and really, really well. But socially, I was just nuts. I was like, I, I was in, in high school. I was in, I was like, did theater and I did like all of this like art stuff. And then in college, I like, totally went the other way and did like the finance clubs and the more nerd stuff. And like, I, just, I was like, <laughs> there's so, where the ADD went. It was like not in yeah, yeah. taking, but in my extracurriculars, it was like, <laughs> it's all right. An adult with ADD is still the same thing, right? I'm, I'm the same way. I'm like, Ooh, look, next thing. Ooh, next thing. So what advice would you give to a kid who's about to commence adulthood? Uh, like what, if you can go back and talk to yourself, 18 year old version of yourself, would you change anything or what advice would you give yourself? Um, it's a good question. I, 
I would actually, I would put less pressure on myself to make the right decision because you don't, you really don't know. And like, I just remember, especially when I was picking college and I was trying to pick what I wanted to do, I was so overwhelmed because I really didn't know at that time what it was specifically that I wanted to do. And I just felt like if I made the wrong decision, then it was, it was going to be very hard to go back and redo it. And but at the end of the day, you're just moving forward day by day anyway. So if even if tomorrow you decide you didn't like the decision from today, you just make a new decision tomorrow and you go start doing something else from that day forward. And it's fine. You know, that's I think that's pretty much how everyone ends up living their lives. It's just one day you decide you wanted to do something different. And so you do it right. And you just move on. It's you don't have to have it all together before you can start doing anything. Right. Yes. Great piece of advice. Uh, Nick, thanks a lot, man, for tuning in. Great information on today's show. Mark, before we head out, man, I, I want to make sure I give you uh, the floor here. What are your final thoughts? Something that you want to get off uh, off your chest or get out to the audience? And then, of course, how can people find you? Uh, well, you can find me just by sending me an email. I mean, you can shoot me an email whenever you want. It's just Mark with a K at techmeetstrader.com. Super simple. Um, and I'm always down to shoot the shit, even with, you know, if you just got a business idea, if you're trying to figure out your life, if you, you know, have a business that's booming and you need, you know, whatever we can offer, that's great. Um, always happy to talk. And I think my, my parting piece of advice would just be to, to stay as like dynamic and as flexible as you possibly can in business, in your life, in your, you know, in your schooling and any decision that you're making. And let, you know, let data, let yourself and, and let, you know, the markets sort of determine where you go, right? Don't get too pigeonholed in any one idea because you'll lose sight of the, of the bigger picture. Sweet. All right. Final question. We, uh, at the beginning said that we we're going to give you a 30 minute podcast episode, high energy. And, uh, I want to know if I came through, man, what was your experience like on the business bros? Uh, Failure. No, this was great. This was awesome. This is awesome. I mean, I love this. This is always a great time. All right, man. Uh, ladies and gents, here's what it comes down to your business in your business. Data is king. If you don't know what to do with your data, the very least that you should be doing is collecting it and then reaching out, scrolling across the bottom to tech meets trader.com have a conversation with mark and let's figure out what we can do with your data you can turn it into more conversions there's a strategy and a way to do that you can turn it into more pr you can get your message out but you might need a little bit of help TechMeetsTrader.com. go ahead and reach out TechMeetsTrader.com. ask mark for help let's see where it goes everything starts with the conversation start there techmeetstrader.com mark thank you very much for coming on the show today ladies and gentlemen we'll catch you guys manana peace and we're out it's over go home is your business in need of marketing try starting a podcast but not just any podcast podcast like a pro we can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust go to www.businessbros.biz to get started